Hello there, once again we'll just fade that down before uh, anybody expects us to pay royalties for it. Uh, welcome <laughs> to the Twin Peaks podcast, today we'll be discussing uh, the second episode, which is the third episode really, uh, it's directed by David Lynch, it was called, I'll just Game get through this, or how to catch a killer. that's the one, it was called, yep, so this was the, the, the Anyway, well, I've screwed that. Zenith to, to The Skill to Catch a Killer. Uh, directed by David Lynch, written by Mark Frost and David Lynch. Uh, I'm John Carruthers. I'm Joseph Goss. I'm N- Nave Nada. <laughs> you sounded so unsure. It's because I don't have a real surname. That's it. It's actually, be, be honest, it's Nevada Nada. Nevada it's Nada. Nevada Nada. That's I quite like the sound of. Absolutely, I like it too. I've just got a crap name like John Carruthers. <laughs> I sound like I sound like somebody's butler. That's 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 my lot in life. So anyway, Zeno the skill to catch a killer. Uh, Mark Frost, David Lynch, directed by David Lynch. The last one he directs for a little while. Uh, probably one of the most talked about episodes of Twin Peaks, just because of the way it ends that dream sequence. That's true, but when you actually go through the episode, I rewatched it very, very, very recently. To- to do this and by the way sorry for the delay in episodes if you have actually been eagerly anticipating this we've all just been busy and I have I was I was watching it again and it's pretty much just like it's pretty much just like a showreel of the, like some of the best moments in Twin Peaks almost scene for yeah. scene yeah and when you go through when you pick it apart there's almost like almost everything that they go to every, you know, every, almost every scene is just like something that people remember really fondly about this show. They would all make the trailer if it was a film mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, it, it's strange because I always find that when you're watching Twin Peaks, how much actually happens in an episode. Now, sometimes there are later episodes when it's a whole lot of crap, but there's, you know, there's usually at least one or two redeeming yeah, yeah, things yeah. about even the later episodes, but some of the, especially the ones directed by Lynch, they're just classic. I mean, you could take any scene out of this and just go, "This is wonderful," and let's let's do just that. Yep. Starts off with the horn, the horns having dinner. I love this scene. Jerry Horn comes in after they're eating dinner. Nobody, there's like nothing happening. Everybody yeah, doesn't it's like want. A pure two yeah. minutes of silence while the credits still roll. Nobody said anything. There's no. It doesn't cut to anybody else. It just sits there, silence, just eating dinner. And then Jerry yeah. comes in. Jerry comes in. Uh, he's just a dick from the get go. <laughs> Nobody's leaving till we find his. And and, uh, and and he pulls out these brie and butter baguettes and just think they're the most amazing thing ever. And I just every time go, really brie and butter. That's the best thing you've ever tasted in your life. It's not it's... far off, man. <laughs> Do you know what I like brie? I like baguettes and I like butter, but I, I don't know if it's he my dream combo. He has four a day, apparently. In Paris, he has four a day. He has four a day, exactly. And butter. Must have the metabolism of a bumblebee. Absolutely, we. It's also <laughs> where, where uh, it's another castration scene from David Lynch, isn't it? Because they're biting into the these Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, baguettes. Apparently they got a complaint about that. Did they? I, I, I looked up the Wikipedia for the episode. Apparently they had a number of complaints because of the <laughs> sexual connotations <laughs> of the scene. That's right, because they've got their mouths full yep. and like he's 
shouting like you know something about this reminds me of Jeannie and Jenny down by the river. Oh, yeah, I've, I've got a story about that. And they've both, <laughs> they've both got these like big dumb smiles on their faces. I thought it was more like and maybe this is just because maybe it's gotten in my head after watching that much How I Met Your Mother, but I kind of thought it was like a drugs thing. Oh, from oh, the, right. the, we had a sandwich. They, they had, yeah. When they had a sandwich, and you know they've got those kind of glazed look in their eyes while they're eating them. Well, they, I mean, they've got a real and, euphoric and, and, thing with food anyway. That's almost like a drug. You know, and it, you know, uh, Sylvia Horn seems to be disapproving of this whole yes. thing anyway. Yeah, so, I kind of felt like you know you can't back then you couldn't show people just sparking up weed at the dinner table. You probably yeah. could now, but you couldn't then. So. The, the thing is, they've yeah. got that. Uh, I, I like the fact that it's it's not a drug, but it's got that euphoric feeling of a drug. That the horns love their food. I yeah. mean, the fact that they're both named after ice cream as well. It's well just, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think um, the real Ben and Jerry's actually missed a, a tie, and you could have gone brie and butter ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would look like brie and butter, presumably, but just so. <laughs> Just an ice cream that was nothing but vanilla with lots of cherry stems in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's another bit, and it's, it's in a future episode, and again, it's centred around Ben Horn, where they, the, the network actually just said, no, this isn't happening. I'll go into more details in the episode that it happens, but they, they go no, and then they have to work around it, and they don't change any dialogue, but that, that that's a future story. But um, the, the, the bit when Ben and Jerry are saying, you know what it is from Wanderers on? I've got a friend who's very hard of hearing. And whenever I watch stuff with her, we watch it with subtitles. And that whole scene, I loved that scene. That whole scene was ruined for me by the fact that everything they say, even though you can understand what they say, it's just muffled. And uh-huh. the fact that my friend could coherently read that this reminds us of uh, Jenny and whatever down by the lake yeah. and I went you've missed out this is a classic scene so I hate deaf people now <laughs> uh, and then Sylvia Sylvia gets so annoyed that she just decides not to turn up again until the season 2 finale <laughs> don't think she's back very underused yeah very very underused it's also that scene a little later it's got my favourite line of the episode which is um Leland's daughter was murdered and the Norwegians left. <laughs> and Jerry just, Jerry just kind of goes, yeah. what, did they sign? And, <laughs> and it's just, that's just the best. I just, I killed myself watching it yesterday. And it was, yeah. It gets just, me every time. I made uh, Ben Horn biting into that sandwich, my Facebook profile photo for quite a Phenomenal. Because it's a <laughs> wonderful image. I like and I did eat brie and butter sandwiches for quite a while afterwards. <laughs> four a day. Four a day, though. I don't think I ate four a day. Definitely one a day for a while. Um, I just wanted to see what it was like. Turns out it's fucking delicious. I like that they went with Norwegians as well. Because the, the sort of sitcom classic would be the Japanese have left or the Germans mm-hmm. have yeah, left. Yeah, absolutely. And Norwegians are sort of like... <clears throat> Like not the obvious jokey mm-hmm. sort of country to go to, which I like. Mm-hmm. And ironically, Norway became an episode of Twin Peaks very shortly afterwards with all the occult killings and the church burnings. And so, you know. Never thought about there that you link there. I've got to get in a black metal reference in everything I do, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. 
That's you. Take the box. There you go. Um, awesome fan club. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, there's there's a real kind of it's it's one of the silliest lines of dialogue in this episode is the fact that do we know what happened? And then Ben says, don't know, they took their translator with them, which is just so sad. Which is <laughs> just ridiculous. But it's delivered so well. Yeah. And then uh, they say, oh, I'm really depressed that Laura's killed herself. I know what we'll do. We'll jump in a goat. Uh, a goat? We won't jump in a goat. We'll jump in a boat. Uh, go north of the border and, <laughs> and try and have sex with some prostitutes because there's a new girl at the perfume counter is up at One Eye Jacks oh dear and then and the One Eye Jacks stuff always kind of depresses me a mm-hmm. little bit especially when they do the new girl stuff because you know Ben's trying to make it seem like he's got some kind of he's trying to make it feel like a fun thing you know? yeah. he's serenading Blackie the um, not the proprietor I guess she's the manager maybe yeah. I don't know the madam madam she's the head madam and he's trying to serenade her and using Shakespearean prose and trying to make this seem like a very sort of like you know kind of fun zany thing and then Jerry just Jerry. comes in and is like where's the where's new, new ghetto you know, <laughs> like, oh yeah that's right this is actually a really really seedy moment all business that Jerry all business yep. all business uh, well, front. It, it's whatever you say about Ben and Jerry however however you, you like them that scene's just creepy it's just wrong it's, the girl what's great as well is the girl looks so uncomfortable oh the new girl does yeah. look really uncomfortable that, that scene watching it last night it was ruined a little bit and it's not it's not any of, any of the programme's fault but uh, years ago, I'd never seen uh, Celebrity Big Brother, but it was it happened. I was flipping around the channels and it was on, and I saw. Right, there was a there was a year where Jackie Stallone went into the house when Bridget, Bridget Nielsen, Nielsen was there, and Flav Flav. and, and Br- and Bridget, so Jackie comes from like an on-off kind of, <laughs> kind of guy. So Jackie, um, so Jackie enters the room, and Bridget Nielsen goes, Jackie. Yeah. And then Bridget, and then and then Jackie Stallone is clearly intending to say Bridget, but she ends up saying her own name, but she gets it confused. So she goes, so Bridget Nielsen goes, Jackie, and mm. Jackie Stallone goes, Yeah, Blackie, <laughs> and. <laughs> And when when that happened last night, I couldn't stop. <laughs> and it's the only bit of Big Brother I've ever seen. <laughs> what was, a scene! And for, is... for years afterwards, because my friend was in the room, we kept on like walking out of the room, blackie, and, and just people going, "What a beat!" Like it must have sounded absolutely horrific. horrific but I mean, <laughs> so that that scene was slightly ruined for me. But, no, very, very creepy scene. Very, it's very creepy scene. And then it flips from really creepy to James and Donna. Yeah, the all-American Norman Rockwell white picket fence. Yeah. was the first, you just see a roaring fireplace and you just hear the line, that was great, Huckleberry Pie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> you what, is, what the fuck is a Huckleberry? <laughs> oh. Huckleberry. He's, he better get they bet Donna better get bed nine sharp. Nine yeah. sharp. I love the fact that they Remember just leave her anyway because they've got nothing to worry about because James is like absolutely no charisma and they're not worried about their daughter their daughter's yeah. virginity we'll, at we'll, all. We'll, we'll leave our daughter downstairs with this biker and his jumper. <laughs> with the personality <laughs> vacuum. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah, it's just let's let's not dwell on it, right? 
they, they talk about not about much. There's not yeah much there's not much but they, they do cut to the clock and ooh it's midnight <laughs> oh, that's and that. Big James is up three hours after his bedtime <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it's and then they sort of have a, a, a sort of rather timid little kiss yeah um, and then what's nice is that I think you know it cuts to the next scene it's Cooper in the hotel room but they cut immediately to the the waterfall you know, after James yeah. and Donna are, are leaning on the sofa. Uh, and I think that's that's interesting because it, it sort of plays up how much of a wet noodle uh, <laughs> James is. Yeah, there was never a point where you were mistaking that for how wet Donna was. Yeah, it cuts to Cooper. And I mean, to be honest, you know, it's always good to see Cooper, but it's particularly good to see Cooper after James. It's almost like dropping <laughs> from zero to ten right away. And I just love the fact that even though he's on his own, he just does his little whistle thing and is quite excited with the fact that he's got this kind of like duck whistle. <laughs> and he goes like that. And then the phone rings, which was obviously a prompt for them to get the sound guy to get the phone to ring. And it's Hawk. Hawk basically saying, Ronette Pulaski's still pretty much mind and body. Mind and body are pretty far apart, but she used to work in the perfume counter. Which is a callback. See, this is the thing as well. There's a lot of, even though you don't really notice as much with, with David Lynch, well, I don't, but that's exposition right away because they've more or less mentioned One-Eyed Jacks and the perfume counter in the Ben and Jerry scene. And now suddenly we find out Ronette worked in the perfume counter and it's starting to make these kind of mm-hmm. seemingly tenuous links. And then he gets that note through the door. Yep. Yeah, because it immediately so mentions... Knows comes through the door and he has a wee read of it it says jack with one eye and it smells of perfume and i just thought like at this point if you're gonna put the note through the door to help him out maybe don't leave the cryptic clue maybe just you know maybe just like you know something yeah. a little bit more mm-hmm. it's not only a cryptic clue but at that point i still don't know how Audrey knew about One-Eyed Jacks. But, spoiler alert, it was Audrey that wrote it, we don't find out yet. But, uh, how did Audrey even know about One-Eyed Jacks at that point? It's like plot Yeah, I know, it was... It was yeah. But again, you know, it's Twin Peaks and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, so, um, Hawk says that he saw a one-armed man. And I was re-watching this, so he says he saw a one-armed man hanging about the morgue. And then Coop says, one-armed man? He goes, yeah, left. And then it immediately made me think... Does it mean that the the arm that he's still got is his left arm? Because they, they don't say, it just goes one arm man, left. To me, that'd be he's still got his left arm, but that's the one that's missing. No, or, or there, there's left, like no. Or he left the morgue. Or he left the morgue. Yeah. And then he went, yeah, because Cooper should have said at that point, and you get that a lot in Twin Peaks, in fact, nobody questions anything. Cooper should have said, do you mean his left arm's missing? His left arm's still there, or he left. He went, he left, so I can't remember if it's his left arm no, that's missing or not. Cooper's t- intuition is, is what gets him through stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's so. up to people like Andy and Lucy to sort of question all these things. Yeah, as as you see in a later scene uh, in this episode, actually, which we'll probably get on to. Meanwhile, is this the one with the, the bottle? Yes, yeah, yeah and, and Lucy's sort of... She would do that thing where Cooper doesn't like, do you mean tick off the thing or yeah. tick off, yep. you know? Which is exactly what I, well, the fact that they gave you that kind of, that kind of scene made me surprised that nothing was questioned about this. Anyway, it didn't really surprise me, you know. There's a point where it's not it's not the return. He didn't have a spare 20 minutes for Cooper to go, 
when you say left, <laughs> did, did you mean? Sorry, I think I just spat all of you. There you go. Uh, so yeah, the next, the next, the next scene after that, just moving swiftly on, is Bobby and Mike in the woods. I like this scene. I, I like the scene as well, but so I want to know how Leo doesn't know that it's Bobby. Do you know who? Do, do you know who? Do you know who? Because Leo more or less says that Shelley's having an affair with something. Yeah. She's giving that away yeah she's giving it away yeah. and then Bobby goes yeah but do you know and you're just like you may as well just tell him yeah he plays <laughs> that he plays that fear pretty well he does no absolutely yeah. and there's the the guy behind the tree yeah is he wearing a, a he's wearing a mask yeah he's wearing he's a mask he's got like yeah. a barclav on or something is it Leyland no well it would be I don't Jack, know I don't know but I, I, I was thinking about this Somebody's there with Leo. It's clearly somebody that's involved in this trade with Leo, but I it's not shock. He's way too I thought, thin. I, when you see it, yeah. Leo doesn't acknowledge yeah, no, you're right. it. Leo doesn't yeah. acknowledge that this person's there at all. And he probably just. I think does he not make some reference to like maybe he thinks th- those guys are trying to scare him into like oh you know, yeah no trick him. We never really know. It's we great. Never really know, but it's yeah. uh, it's a very scary scene for that. Uh, I think Dana Ashbrook plays it really well. He plays that kind of he kind of hams it up just the right way yeah, for this sort yeah. of soapy part of Twin Peaks. I think Dan Ashbury's just great. a great actor. I think he's really good in this. I think again, he is, he's, yeah. he's just so beautiful. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think we can all as kind of red-blooded heterosexual men say oh, that no, exactly, yeah. we would. And, and, uh, Leo, <laughs> and Leo needs a new pair of shoes. Leo does need them. <laughs> Did we ever see Leo's shoes? We do. We do, I think, do later on. Do we? Yep, Leo's shoes. Leo's shoes. Leo's shoes become an important plot point further down the line. <laughs> Maybe in season four we'll get an hour devoted to Leo's shoes. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost guaranteed. It's almost guaranteed. But the thing that gets me as well is, right, so there's some cocaine in the ball, right? Mm-hmm. And it's n- nowhere near enough. And he goes, yeah, it's because you've not paid me yet. And he makes him go for the pass. Mm-hmm. so they're, they're running away he says go, go for a pass and then they're running thinking what the hell's going to go here they get back to the car and then the ball lands on the bonnet of the car and they go <gasps> sort of thing but then they get in the car and they drive off is that is that American football not not exactly the amount they wanted but is that not full of cocaine and they've just left it on the bonnet of the car uh, I mean um, they were in quite a panic they had the shit scared out of them pretty well by Leo it's great it's great as a scene of kind of oh my god this is because yeah you do and and, and it's like that pre-Blair Witch Blair Witch yeah, moment when they're running that, through yeah, the running yeah. through the woods with the torches and it's a fantastic scene and of course it would have totally ruined it if they went oh right let's get and pick up the ball <laughs> and then go into the car but it always amazed me that you know what they could have had them kind of go <gasps> and then just cut you didn't yeah. need to see them go oh, okay then mm. get into the car and drive off you're thinking it's like me leaving my coffee on the roof of the car while I'm opening the door and then driving off and then the coffee just running down the wind you know it's it, yeah. I, but that's but that's that's the magic of Lynch. It never the scenes never end at the exact moment that yeah, they would. To, yeah, absolutely. It's like well, that's the edit point there, and then it just goes on and on two minutes. Like, well, we'll just get in the car then. Who gives a shit how long the scene lasts? This floor is yeah. dusty. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
I love the fact that so we're, we're going to jump into the return for a second here, but the fact that so many people have tried to psychoanalyze the scene with the brushing and they're going, oh, if you notice, you know, in that episode they really bring a, bring a lot of the plot points together and it's taken a while and this guy brushing is supposed to signify the fact that suddenly things are starting to come together. And you're like, oh, is that what they meant? I just thought it was just saying this episode's running two minutes short and they, they really like I Green think, Onion. I think he genuinely just thinks stuff like that is funny. I think it's funny. I, I think it's I think hilarious. It's funny. My, somebody told me that apparently David Lynch thinks the funniest thing that's ever been put on cinema is a scene from uh, There's Something About Mary. I've I've heard this where, one before, yeah. Where uh, Lee Evans has got the crutches and yeah, he's trying yeah, to pick yeah. something up oh, while, yes. he's, while he's yeah. in the crutches <laughs> and he's just kind of wobbling around. Apparently, that's, that, that, apparently David Lynch thinks that's the funniest I'd thing. I'd heard that ever. as well. Yeah. I love the fact that I think he's I, a complete I, genius and then one of his favourite like comedy scenes is from There's Something About Mary. That just seems wrong somehow. Funny, funny, man. Well, yeah, it's, no, it's, it's like um, it's like one of those things where you know the the great artists uh, of your time they're always into sort of quite low brow. Um, <laughs> like what was that? We all are. Yeah, yeah no, we absolutely think, are. We're just sitting here doing a pretentious podcast, but in actual oh. fact, I'm going to go and watch an episode of Friends after. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. Well, well, you know, friends took up the the first scene that we're talking about. They very much ran with the the whole sandwich thing with yeah. Joey that you saw in the first. Oh scene. yeah, so yeah. They, they very clearly took that from that scene. And then, of course, when you said how I met yeah, your mother, I I, yeah. I, 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 st- I don't think I enjoyed how I met your mother from like because I got it off a friend the whole thing, and I don't think I enjoyed it from season two or three onwards. But I just kept watching it. Yep. I just kept watching because I you just. Just something. They'd almost you just like it. something. Yeah. You just yeah. like something. Yeah. You just, it's nice to have it there. Uh, and you're following yeah. it and you kind of got too deep into it to really just chuck it away. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, well, the thing about, and, and again, we're moving away as, as we always do and you're supposed to real men at this point. So, how, how, how I met your mother is the fact that they use the kind of made a sandwich as a metaphor for, or a simile or whatever you want, for the fact that they're taking drugs because they're about to say it was a bong and then they change it to because he's telling a story to his children. Yeah. So they cut back and go, ah, but he's got absolutely no qualms saying, oh yeah, that was the night I fucked your Aunt Robin. <laughs> so he's telling the children, yeah. oh yeah, that was the night I mean your Aunt Robin hooked up, but his qualms telling him that he maybe used to smoke a little bit of hash for his pals. Well, you know, maybe he doesn't want them to, you know, get down the line of drugs, but he'd be quite happy for his kids to pump their Aunt Robin. Yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. Well, Aunt, well, Robin, well, Aunt Robin has her charms. Well, you think, because clearly in, in How I Met Your Mother, it's set in a, it's set in the future. So, clearly the writers thought there's going to be a post-Trumpian America where pumping <laughs> your aunt is a sort of pornification of real life, but any sort of drug taking is, is sort of off limits. So that's maybe maybe that's what the writers were for. Well, they ahead of the time. Yeah, ahead yeah. of the time. I'm going to have to rewatch now. It's all those sandwiches they were eating. I've never seen How I Met Your Mother, but I will contribute to its podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've, seen it, I've seen it all and don't really remember half of it. Uh, yeah, it's one of those ones I think I could. I, I've watched it all as well and I think I could just sit and rewatch it and it'd be a complete surprise to me again. <laughs> 
Barney Stinson. No, the writing's not that good. No, the writing's not that good. <laughs> but I have to, one of the things I will say about how I can't believe this is turned into the right. your mother podcast. One of the things See, about how, the continuity, the continuity is astounding. They say, oh yeah, but we'll talk about that later. And then they get back to it about four seasons later going, oh yeah, there was a goat in my bathroom. It's very much the wire. It is the wire of, <laughs> it's the wire of 20 minute single camera comedy. You can join me on the wire podcast <laughs> as well. Exactly. Which I have seen. I never in a month of Sundays thought we would manage to get on to How I Met Your Mother on the Twin Peaks podcast, but there we go. So, uh, the, well, next scene. the next scene is uh, Nadine and the Draper. Well, episode eight of The Return is very much How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't like, it? Because the toad crawling into the mouth is sort of how, you know. It's how I met. It is, because it's. it's if you look at it, it is how I met your mother because it is how Bob yeah, met exactly. Laura's mother. Yeah. And yeah. It's and it's kinda like as pop, far as pop surrealism goes, it is the how I met your mother of pop surrealism. <laughs> That's true, yeah, I go with that. Uh, <laughs> why not? Um, I, do, you know, <laughs> sure. do you know what? The, the great thing is it's a bit emperor's new clothes, people go, they're so right. No no nobody will have the balls to that's actually a, say well, that's, the, that's the beauty of yeah, good art, it's subjective and you yep. can just kinda of put it's very lynchy in this podcast. We don't need, we, we don't need to justify ourselves. Because you take you take from it what you want. If you agreed with it, then that's what happened. You saw the ending. So <laughs> who gives a fucking shit how long a podcast lasts? <laughs> The people who listen exactly to that's true <laughs> uh so the, the, the next the next scene's nadine nadine she's doing her thing oh, with uh she's yeah. doing her thing with her kind of rowing machine yeah. type thing ed it, comes in and ed comes all, in he's all oily from working out the the gas farm yep. uh he's very careful to not get any oil anywhere yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden he trips over nadine's runners that are just sitting in the middle of the hall that's yeah. right, yep. Yeah, somehow it's his fault. Greased balls. Uh, greased balls. I remember uh, re-watching this on VHS years ago with a, a girlfriend, and we watched the VHS to the point that you could make practically nothing out. I mean, it was like this kind of orange-tinged. <laughs> and then uh, my girlfriend asked, "What? What? what's in uh, Ed? What, 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 what's Ed's hands covered in? And I said, Laura's blood. Uh, but yeah, so that's it. So so Nadine goes a bit mental because Ed accidentally drops some grease onto her drape runners, uh-huh. uh, and she that's the first time you see her strength is the fact that she just moves this kind of war machine and just kind of bends it because because like, she there's a point later on when Nadine exhibits superhuman superhuman yeah, strength, yeah. Uh, very much a forerunner to heroes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's oh yeah. Oh. There you go. It's influenced everything. Mm. So yeah, that that's also the first point where you think Nadine's been slightly eccentric before now, and you've seen these things where she's like quite antagonistic towards Norma, based on the fact that she knows Norma and Ed kind of are very much into each other. The extent to which she maybe not necessarily knows, but you can understand why there's a little bit animosity there. This is the first scene where she's just bat shit crazy looking I think yeah. I mean you see the, the drapes and stuff but uh, in the first episode when she's opening and shutting it but it, she this, wears a spandex well though she does she does, she does yeah. well this is a great thing as well I remember watching Twin Peaks originally thinking Nadine's dead old and now technically I'm older than she was in show she's not that bad looking a woman she wasn't that old a lot she of wasn't them, that old some of them are older than you think well, yeah. I was always surprised at how old Richard um 
Beamer. Richard Beamer actually is. And you see it when you go back and watch everything and it's kind of more high quality TV that we've got now. Yeah, well. Uh, same with um, uh, David Patrick Kelly. You know, surprised when yeah, in yeah, the return yeah. when you see these people, you yeah, see how just old they are. Old men. They must have actually been a lot older than you think. Yeah. Well, Norma and Ed think? are about ten years older than Nadine, even though they went to school together. Mm-hmm. But I think uh what's it, Wendy Roby was it who mm-hmm. played Nadine was yeah. thirty five and Everett McGill and Norma, who's yeah. Peggy Lipton, Peggy, were both yeah. in their mid forties. Mm-hmm. And they were all supposed to go to school, to, and so it was. So there was definitely a, a fair bit of that. But yeah, Norma, Norma's a mental case. Not Norma. Uh, Nadine's a mental case, mm-hmm. and this is it starting to show. But I love Nadine. I think she's a great character. Yeah, I, no, she's. There's not many characters in the show I don't like. There's a couple of exceptions, <clears throat> James. Um, but it's yeah, crazy. She's good. So yeah, next up we've got uh Bobby thinking it's okay despite the fact that he absolutely bricked himself with Leo going to visit Shelley during the day, which... Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a smart move. Cause it, yeah. it was weird, though, because you see in the very first episode when they're driving towards the house and then they see the truck there. So, you know, they, they shit themselves. Uh-huh. And then you, you kind of get over the next episode or well, two. he's got 20 minutes. That's he's got 20 minutes, yeah, 20 minutes. That's all Wait, you know. As yeah. a teenager, I mean, to be fair. Now, now Bob... Now, Mike, sorry, Mike. Uh, no, Bobby. Bobby. Bobby, sorry. Bobby. Sorry, my brain's on. Snake. <laughs> uh, Bobby shows that wet noodle how to winch a bird in oh, this scene. Absolutely. You just, yeah, go for it. See, it always amazes me that Laura decided to be going out with Bobby and have an affair with James. It just feels like it should be the other way around. Cut that bit out. I want a few more woke. But everything, um, <laughs> but everything in the show is the wrong way around. Yeah. Yeah. Know? The high school captain is the rebel, and the biker outsider yeah. is the boring guy. Yeah, um, John Paul's. You know, and, <laughs> and everything's the wrong way around. Yeah. You know? uh, and this scene, actually, if you if you watch, I, I I had this thought to myself, and tell me if I'm just digging too hard here, but this was pretty much like there's a bit where, um, she says like he'll kill us both if he finds out. And I was like, is, it not, is this not just, did David Lynch just rewrite this scene for the audition scene in Mulholland Drive? Oh, oh yeah. I ah, thought, yeah. I literally just had this thought two hours ago when I rewatched the Yeah, no, I get you. was like, there's a similar sort of thing where there's like danger involved in a, in a sexual chemistry yeah. sort of thing between two people that was in the audition in Mulholland Drive is a very similar kind of played out scene here. And that makes sense because in the audition, once they, in Mulholland Drive, sorry, when they go and they have the audition and then she leaves the room with the other casting people and they're like, oh, that hokey old piece of shit's never going to get made. This could be David Lynch talking about how people maybe saw Twin Peaks. Oh, this maybe, is again, yeah. This is the kind of soapier side of it. Yeah, you well, know, I, like cheating and you know. Yeah, no, okay. And, and you could run with that because was, Mulholland Drive was originally meant to be a mini series or, or a proper series, mm-hmm. sort of like yeah. a follow, sort of not a, sort of spin off. It was supposed to be a spin off of Twin Peaks. That yeah, the character so Naomi Watts played when they were originally coming up with the idea. It was supposed to be Audrey Horn. Mm. Yeah, or there yeah, it, no, it was. No, it was. It was supposed to. It was supposed to be. 
it was supposed to be when they when they came up they, when David Lynch came up with the idea for Mulholland Drive, it was originally going to be a spin-off featuring Audrey Hall. Wow. And then it changed, as these things always do, it evolved. I'm just more amazed that I brought an interesting point to this podcast and not just a bunch of shit jokes and talking about how much I fancy Bobby Briggs. It's <laughs> quite... Who can blame me? Yeah. I, I, I think that even though it's crazy for him to go and see Shelley, it actually shows that he genuinely cares yeah. about yeah, her. Yeah, because so, yeah. he knows that Leo knows there's something going on and uh-huh. his first thought is... So it looks like he's just telling his purposes heading out to try and get his hole... But maybe he wants to make sure Shelley's okay. And and the other thing I like about that scene is Leo's photograph on top of the TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's not even the total, smiling or the total white background like he's had it done in a studio just to freak Shelley out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, have you seen it on Twin Peaks log posting on Facebook that they've started to do uh, nice Leo memes yeah. and, it, and it's got all these kind of like horrific scenes with Leo and they've got kind of got you know it's like the, the when he's talking about Leo uh, Leo saying that she only smokes one brand of cigarettes and he's like holding a cigarette he's going Shelley I really think you need to stop smoking it's bad for your health <laughs> phenomenal stuff uh, I love I love the, the the crazy genius that goes into some of the Log posts and stuff, obviously your stuff I aside. Love, I love my stuff aside is not genius. <laughs> uh, I just dick about uh, on log posting. I think the only thing that I did that I was really happy was with was I did a parody of the floor sweeping from uh, that that was phenomenal. Did you ever see that? I did yeah. see it. I I've just joined it. I <laughs> it was quite Did you uh, not add something a I, couple of days ago? I was put it, something yep, up. It was on up with the scene. It was if you're listening to this and you've seen all of Twin Peaks please join Twin Peaks log posting it's heavy spoilers so if you haven't seen it then what you listen to this yeah, show I, it full of spoilers I could, as well I could describe the one I put up but it's sort of describing it's a meme yeah. so it's yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, okay we'll go for it um, it was <laughs> it was the scene in series 2 the first episode with a giant standing over uh, Cooper and he says the owls are not what it's seen seen uh, and then I put underneath uh, the the sort of superimposed owl image over Bob's face, mm-hmm. but I replaced the eyes and the beak <laughs> with the the oh really owl from memes of two thousand and seven. <laughs> I called the uh, thing two thousand and seven memes of return. So there yeah. you go. Yeah, uh, you can look that up online. Uh, I need the likes. Way too clever. Way too clever, isn't it? I need, I need the likes, the sweet sweet likes. I need those sweet things. sweet likes. Yeah, we are I, well, I got you got a love from me. I, think. I did. You yes. got a love from there's me. There's lots of there's lots of uh, smiley faces from people in uh, Nevada, ironically, probably, <laughs> um, which isn't my reward. South Americans as well. A lot of South Americans love David Lynch. Yeah, I don't get a lot of likes, but I get a lot of likes from South America. <laughs> well, that's where you know Mr. C was, and series maybe they're connected. Phil Jeffries as well. Yeah. Big kettle. Big kettle. Even though kettle. David Lynch goes, was he supposed to be a kettle? I love the fact that he said, was he supposed to be a kettle? I sculpted that. And it took a lot of time. And then he just ended it with, but if you want to see it as a kettle, that's absolutely fine too. Spout, handle, David Bowie. What's inside? The singing kettle. Tin machine. Tin machine. Go, I've got children. There we go. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, we talked a bit about this earlier after Bobby and Shelley. Tibetan method. Oh, this is, so this is, this is possibly the scene. best exposition ever done yeah. in a TV yep. show. 
You know, good exposition is when they, they, they give you exposition and you've got absolutely no idea what's Just happening. Everything else around yep. is so batshit. And there's so much of the imagery from this show is in this episode. There's the coffee, the donuts. There's logs piled behind this. Yeah, yeah. Which don't serve no purpose apart from they look good. Yeah. Uh, you've got the bizarre cast of characters are all kind of joined together by this one thing. Yeah. Um, You've got the eccentricities of Cooper. And hot. Uh, and oh, yeah, because hot. he likes the coffee so much he has to spit it out. Uh, damn good coffee. And hot. Um, yeah, it's great. I just love the fact that Lucy, probably poor Lucy, had to go out into the middle of the woods with a giant blackboard, <laughs> bring a table with all the donuts and the coffee and stuff. Just could, could Cooper not have just done this like behind the sheriff station? You've got to but they go out into the arse end of nowhere by the likes of it. You've got to find me a drop down map of the bed. Exactly. This is before oh. you could just print it all off on Google. Oh, Diane, so. send me a drop down menu, <laughs> a drop down yeah, map of today. Could you also uh, take a car aerial off of a uh, passing motor car <laughs> so that I can do this fantastic bit where he goes out with the, the pointer? Uh, and let me tell you, I love that again. This is this is what, uh, when I was complaining about the Diane Keaton episode before we record this podcast and nobody's getting context, was the fact that there's a bit where he says, I want to tell you a little bit about Tibet. And then everybody at the same time shifts forward in their seats like this because they're interested. They just all move forward to the edge of their seats. And it felt like Diane Keaton watched that and said, we're going to make everybody try and move in some sort of synchronicity because that's what David Lynch would do. And it's not. But she's tried to... It looks like she's tried to... It's like maybe watch somebody do a parody of a David Lynch. Like some RC student did a parody of a David Lynch film and said, oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And you you watch this and then... So she's watched a Nicholas Reffin film then. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, Reffin. Yeah, take that, big man. Uh, I haven't even seen Only God Forgives. <laughs> I'll not bother. I quite liked it. <laughs> I liked Drive, but not that much. No. I thought it was about overrated. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, sorry. Right, so <laughs> they play this elaborate game where uh, because of the, like, the sort of, the, Huge amount of people involved with this within the letter J in their name. Yep, including yeah. Johnny Horn. Johnny Horn, yeah. Could have done it. I also, I also think I might be wrong, but I was, I don't know how I needed. I was going to go and check, but it's Ronit Pulaski's dad's name, not Yannick, which I think would be spelt with a J, and Probably. he doesn't get brought in despite the fact that his daughter was. Well, more or less. I think Yannick like can also be spelt with a Y. It just seems like but yeah, no, that Eastern block. play thing. this game where he writes all their names down on this board and he makes Andy go about 50 feet away and place <laughs> a glass bottle on top of a, like a tree stump. And then he makes Andy do that. Andy has to stand out there and all his, the, he's got his job to do. Then he gives, what does he give Hawk to do? Hawk has to hold Hawk the, has to the hold rocks, the but he has to wear oven mitts. He has to wear oven mitts. Oh, yeah. Well, because yeah, this yeah. is a dream that Cooper had. Yeah. Hawk has to wear oven mitts while he's picking the stones, then and he has to tell Harry, the story. And Harry has to say the name of the person on the list, and then plus a, brief. Up, plus a brief description of their relationship to Laura, and then Lucy has to tick everybody's name off. That's really a job for two people max. 
yeah. all of this. Mm-hmm. Two people max, potentially three, if you want to inc- include what Andy's doing because it's far away. Yeah. You don't want to run back and forth. <clears throat> but if you've gone through all the effort to bring a blackboard, a table, and a stack of about 50 donuts plus hot coffee out there, you're probably not going to look at walking back and forth to do that as a big deal. Unless, of course, you're thinking about future Twin Peaks where David Lynch would have shown you the person throwing the stone, knocking the ball over, then going all the way over there to pick <laughs> Picking it up, it up, and then it. coming all the way back to do it again. That would have been amazing. I would have been transfixed for that. Of course you would have. I'm just one, because I'm, yeah, I'm an arsehole. Uh, but I love the fact that who's answering the phones? Well, Lucy's out in the middle of the woods. Chad. <laughs> but it's a great scene and again they say you know as you said Johnny Horn Johnny Horn's in the running and they, they more or less say they say the names brief relationship Cooper speaks to the rock and then throws it and he misses the first few people and then hits it when it's Dr. Jacoby yeah. but it doesn't break and that's very, important it's very important to note that down and, it, and then we get to the point with one eye Jack's Jack with one eye uh-huh. and then that's when she says could it be a person could it be the place in the person and Lucy starts this kind of expositionary dialogue which uh-huh. I said earlier on about the left and the right and and, yeah. and Harry gets strangely annoyed with her I'm thinking she's just asking a relevant question he deals with that all yeah. day though between that, between her and Andy, you're surprised like Harry hasn't fucking at least strangled one of them. Yeah, I know that. that <laughs> yeah. Cooper's Cooper's brought to Twin Peaks to investigate the murder of a staff member in the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department. Turns it's it makes Harry. you wonder what they were investigating prior to Laura's death. No, there wasn't much going on. <laughs> Not much going on. They were no. still they were still uh, dealing with the aftermath of what happened in Mister Blodgett's barn. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happened last year. <laughs> Uh, so, so the 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 glass the bottle smashes, the bottle smashes when Leo Johnson's mentioned. So everybody's mentioned Leo Johnson relationship to Laura unknown, despite the fact that Leo a few scenes ago had said to Bobby maybe one day I'll tell you a little bit about Laura. Glass smashes. Now the you know the first thing I thought of when that happened was, so Leo Johnson's definitely not the killer of Laura Palmer because it was just at that point you're thinking. Well, I mean, they're not going to tell you three episodes in. Yeah. This yeah. Is... So, so right away, he was right off the list of going to hit. But it'd been great if they just turned it around and went, actually, it was. We gave you all the clues. Why actually, you... guys, it was Johnny Horn. Johnny Horn all along. Johnny Horn with it. He headbutted off. <laughs> he shot her while he was going for a fucking lollipop. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today, Johnny? Not good. <laughs> Hello, Johnny. Some bizarre scenes in the return. I know we're not at it yet, but you're just going. I've got my friend's first, my friend's uh, kid's first birthday party on Sunday. I'm going to see if I can get myself a doll, a bear doll like the one from the return. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Johnny. How are you today? There's going to be a lot of kids at the party, so I think I might scare the shit That'd out of them. That'd be amazing. Well. That'd be awesome. There's that thing when kids are so young like when you were talking earlier on yeah about uh kid and the bouncer blah, 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 just watching twin peaks oh yeah i watched point. i watched some of this episode with the baby nine months um actually the next scene that actually was the one that he watched and he seemed to be settled by it yeah well, what scene's that well, audrey's dance audrey's dance i wish i'd seen this when i was seven years old when the show was on tv <laughs> 
It was, yeah, what a scene. I love this scene. Some jumper work from Donna there as well. Yeah, it's a nice yeah, jumper work. Yeah, there's Donna. some phenomenal jumper work. If you haven't gone online, there's, there's an article about uh, the best. I think it's the <laughs> 71 cardigans and jumpers that appear in Twin Peaks rated from worst to best. Uh, and it's well worth reading as an this, article. This is this, when I was saying earlier that this whole episode is made up of scenes that people would stick together in the, the trailer. That yeah, it's like the YouTube best yeah, of the scenes. And this is one of them. But I can understand how someone could watch this and hate it at the same time. Yeah. Because yeah. Audrey's dance theme is really, really pleasant to me, but it is, it's got jarring moments in it. I love that. So that music, I could see how somebody would be put off by that music. I could see how somebody could be like, why is she just dancing in the middle of the diner on her own? And she's not even really dancing. She's just kind of... Yeah, swing slightly. Swing yeah. back and there's, forth. There's, there's, some, there's something I, when I rewatched this after having seen The Return, um, and the strange looks that she gets from Donna and Donna's parents, absolutely fine. Totally understand it. She's dancing in the middle of a diner. There's no alcohol involved, whatever. But it got me thinking. David Lynch seems to do this stuff where you think it's incidental music and yeah. he does it a couple of times with Audrey and then you realise that it's actually in-scene music. Yeah. So uh, it happens quite a few times and it does happen with Audrey and I've re-watched this scene again today with the knowledge of thinking that that scene works quite well if she's the only one that hears the music. Oh, yeah. It would be, well, would yeah. be Yeah. Audrey, I mean, it makes the looks that she's getting from Donna and her parents yeah. just that bit better. If the only, you know, it's not on the jukebox. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've made the assumption it's in the jukebox, but what if I, I don't even think that you see her put it on the jukebox? There's a few times when you see people put music on the jukebox and then it becomes kind of background music. But I don't think I, I, I'm never. I watched it like about twelve hours ago and I already can't remember. But I don't think you see Audrey put the music, and even if you did, that's not yeah, necessarily yeah. the music you see, but it's got that, it doesn't sound like it's in-scene music, yeah, but he yeah, does yeah. that in the previous episode, where you think that the music's in-scene, and then Ben comes in and goes, turn that racket off, uh, yeah, so yeah. I wonder if he's done the opposite here, where Maybe. It's, it's just all in Audrey's head, and then that gains a bit of relevance mm-hmm. later on in Return, when there's a scene with Audrey's dance, but again... And, and of course, uh, Audrey's dance went on to inspire every person that you should never approach at a house party. <laughs> oh, they look interesting. They look <laughs> this is going to end in tears. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Just hand a cherry over and see what she does with the stem. Walk um, away very quickly. <laughs> or if you're me, just make that the basis of like your first two or three relationships. I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I say that as if I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now married. I'm not like still out for certain relationships with psychos, although maybe I should be. Uh, next up, appearance of one of my favourite characters, Albert Rosenfield. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's Love right. Love Albert. Albert turns up and uh, he's a. Uh... As pleasant as always. Yep, I could do a whole podcast just about how much I love Albert. Yeah, I think he's great. It makes you really happy that like they got him for season three. Yeah, because he's so good. Yeah, he's so good. He's so good. Yeah, delivers everything. He's got a great voice. He's just got that great deep voice. Yes. Yeah, makes everything sound. There's like a certain gravitas to everything he says. So when he's insulting the people of the town. And the work that they do, and the place that they live, 
and the quality of everything around it. And it's, it sounds yeah. like it's coming from someone who really knows their shit. Yeah. And it's it's a nice sort of... You know, I've, a lot of people talk about the humour in, in Twin Peaks and it's sort of... It's a nice counterpoint to the other sort of more goofy sort of Americana humour mm. that you get. It's sort of, you know, you got the sort of spoofing of soaps, which is sort of the, the cheesiness of it and the rest mm. of it. And then you have this really hard-edged cynicism that's sort of... So, so there's a couple of different types of humour that's going on in Twin Peaks and, and he's a big part of. I love the fact that he's come from the same place as Cooper. Yeah. He and Cooper have yeah. this mutual respect for each other. It doesn't necessarily shine through in this particular scene, but it's there. Uh, well, Cooper definitely has respect for him because he does mention it to Harry. But... Um, it just amazes me. These guys are from the same place. Cooper comes in and is instantly enchanted by Twin Peaks and Albert just doesn't want to be here. Albert yeah. just, you know, and it's great. And even the way he tells Lucy that he's here and then he says Albert Rosenfield then spells out his first name, A-L-B-E-R-T, which as far as I'm aware, there's no other way to spell Albert. And then he goes on to then spell Rosenfield. And there's a great bit where he calls her Curly and then walks away and you just see Lucy for a split second stick her tongue out at him. I think that's a fantastic little yeah. bit where it's almost like Lucy breaks out of character mm. and just goes, well, fuck you. Yeah, and, and, just, he's, and that's the best way she can do it. They're not yeah. that dumb. You know, yeah. They're being made fun of. Yeah. And she gets quite annoyed in it. I, I, I just adore Albert and I, I love the fact that he was in return even though he was dying at that point, Miguel Ferry. Uh Well, there's another one, uh, Ronette. She's a... Uh... She's passed away, hasn't she? No, Ronette still. No, is, who was it that passed away? Pamela Gidley, who Pamela plays Gidley. Teresa Banks. Yeah. Oh, God, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Now, if we go home tonight and find out that uh, Phoebe Augustine, isn't it, who oh, plays Ronette Plasky, if she's dead, that'll freak me out. Yeah. I'll blame Nevada. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. The curse of the Twin Peaks podcast. Uh, Albert Rosenfield's one of the three people in Twin Peaks to also have been in Robocop as well. Ah, so there right. you go. Yeah, yep. that's true. So uh, the the other one that we've seen thus far being Ray Wise, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and then later on we'll have is it Dan O'Herlihy, but we won't go into who he is yet. But but he's in he's in Twin Peaks. Ah, he's in Robocop as well. Wait, I left my notes at home, so I'm struggling to remember everything. Uh, so where are, we, where are we now? Where are we here? Right, yeah, we're we're going on. Well, Albert's just great. Uh I also love the fact that at the end of that scene, Cooper gives Harry this thumbs up after Harry's more or less said, to be honest, I uh, talk to people like that. If you weren't good at what you do, I'd just kick the crap out of you. Uh, he'd be looking for his teeth three streets up from, three, <laughs> three blocks up from Queer Street, he said, yep. Uh, and then next up is Ed finding out uh, that from Nadine that what he did with the Drape Runners was okay with oh, her. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, oh, I, I completely forgot. There's a mo- there's a small moment back away where Ed comes into the diner, comes into the double R, and there's a honky tonk country music playing in the background. He's got the check shirt tucked in, yep. and he's got the bandage on his head. He sits at the counter, and Norma comes over, and he's like, won't be the first time, won't be the last time, but I'm in that doghouse again. That's <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, it's almost like he's like the opening line of whatever song's on in the background. And there's a moment where he's talking about um, the injury he got and uh, how he'd messed up the, the drapes and everything. And Norma goes, oh, I bumped into her the other day. And it's all she could talk about was 
to Drapes. It's like, yeah, you're also leaving out that really horrible part where she said, do you know where, where Nadine was losing it and going, do you know where I, when I thought of this? When I was in the hospital with my husband in emergency <laughs> room? Like, she's saying, yeah, oh yeah, she was just talking about Drapes and also all the veiled clues about how she knows that we're totally yeah, out of it. because she yeah. knew my she husband knew, was in intensive she, care. She, held that, she, held, she holds that yeah. back from him. Why does she hold that information? That's the real mystery of Twin Peaks. Yeah. But you're right, yeah, I completely forgot that scene. I'm in that dark house again. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a the point where she kind of, she and it's a great scene because she actually touches the side of his face and then remembers her out in public and pulls back and it's so understated. Oh, yeah. It's great. So we're nearly at the the, the, the the end of the episode, the second to last scenes between Leyland and Sarah. Oh, there's the, yep. there's the bit, um, there's a bit with the ledger with Josie. Oh gosh, yeah. Uh, which is uh, clever foreshadowing because uh, Josie becomes, uh, you know, she's looking for the key and obviously the foreshadowing is that Josie becomes a doorknob. <laughs> Even back then. He, he had it in, he had it in yep, mind. It. Just, she's going to become a doorknob. Here's the key, the ledger's inside. I was really disappointed that the return didn't solve that. <laughs> well, I was absolutely convinced that the noise that Ben was hearing in the hotel was, was Josie. Yeah, oh, that, oh, wait, yeah. You know, the kind of, yeah. what's that noise? It's another side of the room, and I thought that Josie was haunting the wood. Yeah. But it wasn't. But I was, and I don't know how they would have possibly accomplished that. It's me, Josie. I don't think I think with some of the stuff that happened in season three, they really could have done that, and it would have been the the thing you questioned. The she least. could have yeah, been, absolutely. Yeah, she could have been the broom. She could have been just, that. just all the plot points are coming together now. Three minutes of a broom, and then just suddenly the camera zooms into the broom, and you see a face in the wood. That would have been that, that, that's a good classic make or break. Which I imagine if that was the first episode of Twin Peaks you ever showed someone. Was the one with what happened to Josie? <laughs> you're like going. See if Bob doesn't even know. I don't know. <laughs> like, if you've stumped Bob. That's that's what they need to look into. What's outside the Black Lodge that's in those doorknobs? Yeah, that's it. Maybe from Black Lodge Wood, maybe. Or maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's a definite. There's a there's a definite parallel between the Great Northern Hotel and the Black Lodge, but we're going to that. Like, everyone's going. What are we even talking about? But if you don't know what we're talking about, you shouldn't be listening. So anyway, right, so the, the, the second to last scene is uh, Leyland putting on Pennsylvania 65,000 on the, on the record player and we need to dance for Laura. And yeah. Sarah goes a little bit, he's dancing away with the picture of Laura to Pennsylvania 65,000, uh, starting to really cry. Uh -huh. Sarah comes in. This is two days after... This is two days after their daughter has been murdered and Sarah says, what's going on in this house? As in, yeah. why is my husband insane with grief? This, this scene, watching it yesterday, it's really disturbing. And, very, and it's yeah. really disturbing after you see, spoilers, the murder of Maddie and how mm. it's sort of the same scene played out. Yes. With the spinning and the, yep. the record playing. And also, and also with, with uh, there's a similar moment with Donna in season two. Yeah, well. yeah. Um, but it is, I mean, you you probably when you're playing grief, you've in a David Lynch, so you probably got like carte blanche to just go wild, yeah. and do what you want. Yeah. 
the other the other thing I, I saw and I only realised that watching it yesterday was how much of a big tell when Leland's at the 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 record player and he starts clicking his fingers yeah. and then the scene immediately following has the man from the other place clicking his fingers and then Cooper waking up clicking his fingers yep. so it's almost like telling you like that he's the killer because mm-hmm. he's been influenced by yeah. So it's almost like a huge tale that you wouldn't. Yeah, really there's, there's a fair see. few kind of links there, yeah, sort of, and yeah. the transition it almost, from it almost makes you question, like when they always said that we never wanted to reveal who the killer is. Yeah, well, they never wanted. They, like, they never wanted. Maybe they never wanted to reveal him, but maybe I think Frost and Lynch always knew. I they just they, never yeah, wanted yeah. to say. Yeah, and 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 I, I think it shows when when you retroactively go back and it. it not wanting to go into too much, not because I'm worried about spoilers, but because I always think if we're talking about future episodes, it's stealing stuff we can talk about in a later podcast. Yeah. But there, there's definite points we can go back and go, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. Well, I mean, Jennifer Lynch, when she wrote The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, that was while, that was while they were finishing up yeah, on season yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And it's very explicit and, every sense of the word but book. it's 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 explicit that she knew yeah. who the killer was oh, and yeah. and they knew who the killer was um yeah i think they definitely knew and i think that it was always going to be that maybe if they never revealed the killer they could have come back to us in 2017 and said well we kind of told you who the killer was and if you didn't get it then fuck you well the was the idea originally i've seen little interviews with frost and, and lynch was that you know other storylines would develop until the point if it had continued from that nineties type mm. era that it would just become a background story that would never have been yeah. solved. Mm. Like other stories would have taken place and yeah, no, I yeah, think that that, that that's why they would have officially just closed the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. Cooper's never going to solve this and whatever. Well, they they yeah. they hit troubles when Cooper does solve it because they go. We need to come up with a really it's kind of rubbish way to keep. To yeah, we need to come up with a really rubbish way to keep Cooper in Twin Peaks, but we'll, but but we'll we'll get to that later. We'll talk about Pay Martins later. Oh, yes. So you're you're right. It was like Laura, and and I think it does a disservice to Cheryl Lee because I think she's great in every scene she's in, even when she's dead. But uh, except for that scene with James at the beginning of the the episode where he's going about her skin being soft and sweet. But whatever. But uh, I think it does her a disservice. But Laura Palmer is to all intents purposes, especially at this point, she's just a MacGuffin. She's that. Yeah. She's yeah. she's she's a plot point that she's, she's the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, she is, she absolutely is. We're dating this podcast Wait, with some references. Excellent. Here. That's just kind of, if we weren't dating enough by talking about a show from the early nineties. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so so yeah you've got the, the Pennsylvania 65,000 dancing she goes what's going on in this house uh, she tries to grab Leyland he smashes the, the picture and then he smears his blood all over Laura's, yeah. Laura's face David Lynch loved that do you know that's Ray Wise's real blood he actually cut oh, himself there's so many instances yep. of things like he that he cut himself and uh, starts kind of touching it and smeared it and David Lynch went well we're not reshooting that and, that's phenomenal and of course there's when he kills Maddie he smashes her into some glass yep, mm. yep. as well so yep. there's the whole sort of it's, it's great because you, you, there's there's certain bits from the return where like James Belushi's talking about the fact that he slightly ad-libbed some of his dialogue because he couldn't quite remember it and David Lynch really 
tore him a new one and said, no, you need to say exactly like it is. And David Lynch seems to be a real stickler for the script, yeah, but yeah. seems to love visual. improvising Visuals. as a visual director. Yeah. Because yeah. there's loads of stuff like like seeing Bob in the mirror at the end of the pilot, and you're just going, that's the only reason Bob exists is because David Lynch accidentally caught the sight of mm-hmm. this guy that wasn't supposed to be. I'm, I'm sure that yeah, he had yeah. this kind of bizarre concept of how this was going to go, but it was given form in this yeah. second, and then Bob was born. Uh, but so so that's the second last scene, and then we move into the, the the final scene of the show, which is seven minutes long, and it's Cooper's dream. It's so good. It's it's the greatest. Seven minutes it's in heaven. So good. But I don't know. Have you ever watched the the uncut European pilot? I have. Yeah, yeah, I've seen I have. It. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm aware of what happens in it and everything. There's a point at the end of the pilot episode. The end of the pilot episode ends with Sarah Palmer. Wake, kind of. She was kind of dozing. She wakes up, and she has this vision of someone finding the second half of Laura's necklace, which we subsequently find out in the next episode is Doctor Jacoby. Yeah, yeah. But she lets out this kind of inhuman scream. But that's not that's not how it goes in the pilot, and and the European pilot, which was how they filmed it to make it finish, if it wasn't going to be made yeah, into yeah, a series. Yeah, yeah. So there's about another 20, 25 minutes to go at this point. Sarah Palmer wakes up and she has a vision of seeing a figure at the bottom of Laura's bed and it's Bob and then it moves into this scene of we saw this guy and then you get this really bizarre cut scene of Lucy and Andy uh, and they get a phone call Andy's playing with a kind of bat and ball sort of thing and then basically it all ends up with this final scene of them meeting up with the one-armed man the one-armed man going my name's Mike his name's Bob you know I was touched by God, I removed the my arm, it had firewalked me on it, all that sort of nonsense. And then they go and they have a face-off with this very human Bob yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. under the hospital. And he does the catch you with my death bag. He's got the the line of, like, the circle of candles. And then Mike, black metal. Yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike grabs, I think it's Truman's gun, shoots yeah, Bob and yeah. kills him. And then it cuts to this scene in the... The red room and it says 25 years later and then shows you more or less what we see in this dream sequence the reason i mentioned that is i'll go back to in a minute but so it starts off with cooper and the the ropiest old man makeup you've ever seen which is fine at the time but when you're watching it in high definition now you're like oh <laughs> yeah definitely uh, was, it was cooper looks hard. better as an old man now 25 yeah. years later as he did mm-hmm. there but yes it, it it doesn't stand up yeah, to scrutiny. When, when you're watching on your beat up old video that's been played fifty times yeah. at least, it probably you're probably all right. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah. He looks good. But so so it's old man makeup. You see the one armed man going. Uh, I had the tattoo. If I walked with me, got my arm cut. I cut my own arm off because I was touched by the, his god. And then you see the catcher with my death bag, and then it shows you the candles blown out, and then it cuts to the red room with the backward talking and dancing and then you see about the Laura with Sarah Palmer and it's all very, very lots of kind of snappish stuff. So you get the red room, the backwards dancing. It doesn't say 25 years later, but it does in the European pilot. Mm-hmm. So it actually cuts there after Bob's shot, it says 25 years later and then plays out the entire red room scene, mm-hmm. which is uh, the, the, the man from another place who we subsequently refer to as the arm just doing the let's rock, you know, the, the backward talk and a bit of dancing, that gummy lights coming back into style. This is my cousin, but 
doesn't look almost exactly a lot of Palmer. How many gums have went out of style? Juicy fruit. Juicy you fruit. See a lot of. I, I'm a big juicy fruit. Um, you get big red here. Big red. Club of Bubba's. Big red. It was like it was a similar. I think it was the same. It was a Wrigley's gum. It was an American one, and it was like Wrigley's in the shape and everything but it had a red packet it was called Big Red and it had more of a kind of like a cinnamon aniseed kind of snack. see I would oh, love that yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah. recall that. that that sounds like my cup of that tea that could be a gone out of style and then coming back but I think it was supposed to be the well gum's relatively timeless I suppose you know yeah. you get your Wrigley Spearmint you're right you, there are there are we're really analysing this aren't we? but there are exceptions to the rule and these things as with with fashion and such and stuff like the fact Twin Peaks come back it's very cyclical in its nature mm-hmm. yep. so things go in and out of style gum is relatively timeless but there's exceptions to the rule uh, no idea if that's what they're going for it seems like a very throwaway comment they do they do bring it back later on the gum you like to come back yeah. in its style and then it's how Mark Frost and David Lynch on Twitter announced that Twin Peaks is coming back because mm-hmm. they both simultaneously on Twitter wrote that gum you like is coming back in style and everyone went oh my god and then there was the announcement a couple of days later. So, so yeah, this is my cousin. Lots of really kind of imagery here. The, the backward the, talking. The, the shadow going across the curtains. Like there's a little mm-hmm. pregnant pause in this little shadow. It doesn't look like an owl. It's sort of more of like a sort of square or a yeah, triangle. And it just drifts across there and it's really and it, it, Yeah, it doesn't you don't know how they've managed there's no yeah, yeah. there's no strings, it's how did they do this? The birds it's sing really a pretty song. The the, the 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 effects the what I like about it as well is for some reason the red room looks really disused. It looks like that I mean, usually we're used to the kind of white and black, which sometimes looks like white and brown with the, the reflection of the curtains, but this looks kinda of yellowish and it looks kinda of, like it's been, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's seen better days, and again, there's a bit of tie back to, to the return with that is the fact that the red room looks like it's in a bit of trouble. You almost, you know, there's, yeah, it, yeah. it's like nature's being fucked with. But not that I'm saying that he had that, but, but when you see the red room later on, it's pristine. It, it yeah, look, yeah. but this looks like it's been really lived in. And by the way, that's an accident of. You just don't know. You know set dressing or whatever or. Because you don't yeah. really know anything about the Red Room. At you this don't point. at all. No. So it's just this bizarre kind of sequence that has absolutely nothing to do with the previous two and a half episodes of television. Absolutely just nothing. Watched. It has nothing to do with it at all. Yep. And so it's a complete. Could you imagine just seeing this in 1989? Yeah. 1990. Yeah. yeah. 1990. Yep. Just seeing this then, just like, oh, I'm watching a show about Twin Peaks. It seems to be a murder mystery so far. Well, I did. Oh, though. right. Well. Now, now, what's this? I have vague recollections of when I was younger of Twin Peaks from the opening credits. I remember the opening credits and the music very distinctly. Um, and how old are you, John? I am forty. I am thirty-five. So you were a wee bit older than me. So you, you, you were at the, you were closer to the right age to see this sort of. I was thing. twelve. Twenty-nine. Yeah, I, 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 I was twelve when it came out. And I was watching on BBC were, Two. I was born the year it came out. <laughs> so get out. <laughs> so it's there's just a there's like even though I was young and didn't really understand it, I probably only saw bits of it. I don't understand. Parents watched it. Yeah. Like there's things that you remember, and that's 
something I have a, it's still a vague imprint, but it's there. Yeah. Of yeah. the curtains in that floor and the sort of the weird, like the, what to, at that time was weird music. I first saw the reference in Who Shot Mr. Burns. That's super like, better. What the hell was this? And then a couple of years later, I think I saw Twin Peaks when I was about 12. Because I got into my lunch. And I was like, oh, that's what they were, yeah. that's what they were referencing. But there was a look, this suit burns better. When yeah. he shown the car and then yeah. it was yeah. better look at burns suit. And it's great because there was a bit where Police Chief Wiggum wakes up and his hair's exactly like Cooper yeah. when he wakes yeah. up <laughs> in the dream. Really good. There's quite a few Twin Peaks references because there's, there's also the one when yeah. uh, um, Homer's watching, Homer's watching and it's just like, you sure have to have five coffee in Twin Peaks. And then you see the giant, the giant dancing with the horse <laughs> under under the lights that spark within 21. Yeah. It was amazing. Then you just hear, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. But I mean, I mean, my generation, everything we've learned about everything American culture and films and history all came through The Simpsons, so that's not unusual. Yeah, no, yeah. So, but they, yeah. But yeah, I, I was I, I was shocked the first time I saw it because you sort of the first, the first two episodes are sort of sort of quite as bleak. Um, with with quirky, yeah, quick, but, yeah, but quirky sort of murder drama. It's is very much you can see. It, referenced in everything afterwards including something like the killing oh, yeah. where it's, it's just whereas a normal program there'd be a murder a week and people would get over it mm-hmm. was this sort of residue of grief that goes on for days and days and days and you very much see that in like the mm-hmm. killing which is just 20 episodes of people being depressed because their daughter's been murdered yep. um, so you sort of have the sort of all slightly quirky but relatively realistic show and then you have this dream sequence and it's just like mental and what they try, the fuck they try and tease you with the Tibetan method earlier on yeah. with some intuition some outside kind of forces maybe involving themselves with things but there's nothing there's nothing really in any of the other things that yeah, you've watched yeah. to indicate anything like this because um, yeah, you, you, you get that sense that there's some something out with your Ken, if you will, like yeah. like a higher power at play. I don't want to start going on about God and the devil or some sort of Lovecraftian type horror, but there's there's definitely powers and I mean plus tapping in. Yeah. And they've also delivered this four hours in. Yeah. If you've watched including ad breaks which you have to do for back then, you've watched the pilot which was two hours. Yeah. And the second the first episode, another hour. This is the end of the third episode. So that's like you've invested four hours, you've invested two to two and a half movies worth of time yeah. into this, and you think you know where it's going. And you were also watching it pilot, then six months later, you got the episode, and then you know, yeah, yeah, like a week after that. So you had six months and four hours of this show in the woods, and everything's kind of a bit off, but it is bleak, and then it just suddenly goes. Actually, this is what this show is about, and that's really what the entire show became yeah. about. Yeah, was this weird alignment of like the woods and the supernatural. And what what I love about it, and what I continue to love about Twin Peaks, is that you know other programs of its elk, um, they sort of take from different 
ideologies or, or math, sort of maths, and this is very much its own thing. It's it's sort of, you know, you can watch something and it's a it's a satanic killer yeah. or it's a occult killer, and there's bits of that in this, but it's got its own lore, mm. which is nice. It definitely, for something that they had to retroactively create, you know, for something they retroactively had to go back and show you different things. I mean, like, they built a hell of a world out of this, and this is yeah. a jumping-off point from which they built the world of Twin Peaks, this this insanity at the end of episode I, I. three. And it's, I mean, if you're watching it, and I watched it for the first time when I was early 20s after I got into Lynch, and you just have to know more. And I had watched Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway and everything by this point, but I still was like four hours in and I was like, what the What's fuck is on? this now? I have yeah. to now know yeah. how, where this goes. And it's effectively just, it's like, uh, without wanting to jump too far forward, it's like, it's, I think it's the only sci-fi I've ever liked. Yeah. I think it's, it's really, really weird sci-fi. Oh, absolutely. It's not traditional sci-fi. It, it's again when I, I mentioned the whole kind of Lovecraftian style there are things beyond our comprehension that maybe live in the depths of space or underground or under the sea or whatever and they almost mean we mean nothing to but them it, or like play things to them that's the kind of sci-fi I think it's it is not it's, out, there's nothing outlandish about yeah. it it's just kind of like no that, that's what it would be it would be there yeah there's there's other dimensions we, we can access them people can access them that's that's what this is there's nothing overtly spooky about it or anything it's almost like it's almost like oh there is real entry points into this kind of world and uh, i love it yeah and i love it too I, I i was a bit worried and it was i don't even think i realized the first time but when i, I definitely the first couple of times i, I rewatched it i thought they really there's a point later on when they really pushed the project blue book and ufo stuff and i'm like you're ruining this don't turn that into what to all intents and purposes the X-Files became. I was worried that they were going to make, oh God, Bob's an alien. But it, it's not that. No, but it's, it's not it's, anything as simple as... Well, they didn't have enough time back then to ruin it that yeah, way. Yeah, that, that, so, that's the beautiful thing about it. That was a, that was a, a beautiful thing saved. Um, it's, I love the fact that it's perfectly acceptable that Major Briggs maybe thought there was something sci-fi happening because mm -hmm. it's so beyond human comprehension what's going on that if there's like some sort of signal that they think is coming from outer space your initial thought is must be aliens but it's not because it turns out that it's coming from somewhere else and it's just a misunderstanding it's, of what's it's, I mean did this come out before or was this out this was out before the X-Files it was out before the X-Files but was the X-Files on while this was on no, I think the X Files started, but yep, because I we were just saying that I was really worried that it was going. There's a point where it looks like they're going to blame the whole thing on UFOs, and oh, season yeah, yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's not that at all. It, it's yes, yeah, some extra dimensional beings. We're probably like gnats to these things, but uh, a couple of them are just psycho enough that they want to tear the wings off us. And, it's, and I, <laughs> yeah. And it's like the little things in, in the dream sequence, like... Um, this is my cousin. This is my cousin. And and earlier when Mike, uh, you know, says, we lived in, what do you call it, a convenience store? It's just like, it's just slightly off. Yeah. And it's really creepy. And 
yeah, I don't quite know what you 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 would call this, yeah. but then he remembers, and it's, I I mean it like it is, like it sounds, and and the, the well, I always you know, the the backwards speaking in the Black Lodge just shows you that just things are not right, they're out of sequence. You find out later on there's the things like you find out later on that Laura had the same dream Cooper had about two months before he had it, uh, and fire walk with me. A character that's not yet appeared in Twin Peaks seems to give Laura a warning about what's going to... And yeah. it just seems there's this... Time doesn't work the same way, whether it's flown backwards or sideways or up or... It's just... And yeah, Our rules don't apply in this place. And that's what's really interesting about Lynch is that all these dream sequences are very much like dreams. Like, if you watch any other thing with a dream in it the dream's always very linear yeah it's like this is a part of the plot that we need to get through you know something like dallas or something i mean that's sort of a bad example but the whole scene you know sort of you watch anything with a dream it's like oh i need to get here or i need to do this and and real dreams are all shows but the shows that took from this that did dream sequences well were shows like the sopranos and mad men yeah yeah. where they seen that like a dream sequence doesn't have to be like it doesn't have to be this outlandish kind of thing where it's it's very much signposted. It's like you no, know, it's very clear that it's a dream from the off because everything's just weird enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like things just happen, like out of sequence, the same way that they happen in dreams. Yeah, you know. I agree with you about the Sopranos, but I do think sometimes the dream sequences in some episodes Sopranos. Well, yeah, the ending episode is is insufferable. I would. I would hazard that that's my least favourite Sopranos. Which one was that? It's the one where the whole episode's a dream sequence. That's close to the end, isn't it? That it's maybe season five or something. Is it that when he gets food poisoning? No, that's no, in the end of season two. It's after Big Junior Bruce shoots is him. dead and, that, yeah, and he's imagining no, so him talking as a fish. So it is. There's an episode... It's, is it not after it Junior feel, shoots him? Yeah, it feels like a... Spoiler alert. It feels like a filler episode... You know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's been so long since I watched Annette Benning from uh, American Beauty turns up in it as herself, and it's very Tony's riding a horse in the living room, and it's sort of yeah. Sometimes that sometimes you know? <laughs> some of them were wonderful, but there were somewhere uh, it just felt that you go back to the fact that a lot of the dream sequences in Twin Peaks and a lot of the non-dream sequences have this nightmarish dream quality about them that I think a lot of other shows have tried to emulate and not always succeeded. Stuff like The Sopranos sometimes was quite successful when you're talking about the food poisoning one. There are elements of that that work really well and from that he discovers that Pussy is an informant of it. Mm -hmm. And like it's got that intuitive Cooper-esque dream sequence about it where his subconscious is trying to tell him something. Even like there's um there's an episode of Mad Men and I'm only going on to Mad Men because I rewatched it recently. But uh, there's an episode where Roger takes LSD. Yes. For the first time. And, and it's that's, not crazy. It's either. not crazy, but it's just little things like he lights a cigarette and puts it in his mouth, and then it quickly dissipates. It quickly goes right down to yeah. the butt. Like almost in a second, it makes a little noise, and then he looks up at everybody who's taken it and beforehand. Before he lit the cigarette, everybody was just normal and they'd taken it and they were kind of excited and the cigarette disappears and it's like four hours has gone by and there's 
everybody's kind of dissolved into chaos and there's nothing overly like there's the white rabbit doesn't come on psychedelic shit yeah. doesn't come out of everywhere it's which just, is sort of what hallucinogenics is just, it's all about this sort of warping of time and mm. sort of it's not oh there's a Let's play that Jefferson Airplane song again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good song, but I'm kind of done with it now. But anyway, the the, uh, the dream sequence so dream is sequence. wonderful. I think we probably spent about 15, 20 minutes talking about the dream sequence. Longer than the dream sequence, but um, I always like to after I've watched this episode go back and watch the last twenty minutes of the European pilot because in the next episode Cooper tells Harry and Lucy about his dream and he mentions elements that you don't see in this episode. He says the fact that he sees Andy and Lucy. He says that Mike kills Bob. None of that happens. You don't see that in this yeah, seven-minute yeah. sequence. And so it's worth checking out just for that. As there's, there's bits of it that, that, that... So that's why I see that as almost an extended dream sequence. He, finishes, he wakes up from the dream. He wakes, and, he, yeah. and he's got his perfect little curl of hair sticking yep. up. And picks up the phone in a panic. And he calls Harry. And he tells him, Harry, I know who killed Laura Palmer. And then there's like a bee's like, no, it can wait until tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> and then you hear the music again from the room, and he's he's yep. he's almost st- he's still there, and he's back in it. And, and then he's the finger clicking as yep. well. With the, yeah. And it's you know it's just a fantastic scene. It's almost like he's not fully awake yet, which explains why he knows at that point he killed Laura Palmer, but can't remember. You know, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll come to that in the next episode. You wonder if. Like it was popular when it came out, but is this the scene that made it become the water cooler program that it was? Like if, like it was a high quality program beforehand, but is this the one that's really jumped it up? I think it probably was. I think this is the watershed moment where some people kind of go, "I'm done." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're either in or out at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Best television show ever. What the fuck was that? Yeah. And, and I, I, for me, it was best television show ever. I just thought, it was, but it's great because it's not even the first kind of supernatural thing that happens in the show. And even then, you're not entirely sure if it's a supernatural event because uh, it's just Cooper's subconscious. You find out later on there's a, a bit more to it than that. But the first thing that happened was at the end of the, the pilot episode, Sarah Palmer has a vision of someone picking up. There's no way she could have known that. That's, that's a psychic yeah. event. But you forget about it. You go, this is the first out out and out thing that you can't explain is going on to it's not not by a long shot yeah it's the, it's the the one that really punches you in the face but sarah palmer's a psychic two episodes before but it's almost done it, it's great because watching it in britain you were talking about six months between the pilot watching it in britain there were two weeks between this we we get the pilot next week we get episode one we get episode two i'd almost forgotten that Sarah Palmer had had a psychic vision about someone picking up that necklace because they dealt with it almost immediately. Finding out right away that it was Dr. Jacoby that had it made you go, oh, that wasn't very important, was it? But you forget about the fact that somebody is attuned to what's going on in this town because you're going, mystery solved, move on, what's next? But it's not by a long shot. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, it's... But it's... That's the end of the episode. Yeah. First appearance of Invitation Eleven this episode as well. Didn't even mention it. The meta commentary. Yep. There, there's like a, there's like a twelve minute video of 
Invitations Live on YouTube. Is that I, think I, need to like, check I, it I think they've got all the footage that I think they've like got all the stuff that they shot. I think they just filmed one twelve minute thing yeah. of a bad soap opera pastiche and then just like hacked that up into little bits and put it through episodes as they went along. That actually, um, just thinking about it, you mentioned Robocop earlier, that's yeah. almost like something that they, they did in, you know, with yeah. the, the bad sitcom and the... I'll buy that for a dollar. I'll buy that for a dollar sort of thing. I wonder if there's any... Because Lynch loves these goofy films. Yes, um, yeah, no, he does. He would have seen Miguel Ferrer in that as well. Yeah. So maybe there's a little linkage there, maybe. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. He's been known to have a dig at people who's stolen from him yeah. in his films. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if he had just, you know, little bits of influence here and there. He's certainly a lot more subtle than some of the other things that took from him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's some things I've seen that just look like a bad student's attempt at, not necessarily a bad yeah. student, but a bad attempt to buy a student. I don't mean like mm. a bad student. But, uh, so so I mean that's it. we're there we're at the end we're just ready to find out in the next episode we'll, we'll clearly we'll find out who killed Laura Palmer Absolutely. it's exciting the fact that I can't believe they found out so quickly Cooper's going to tell gonna, I don't know how we're going to fill the rest of these episodes it's though. definitely Leo has to be Leo has to be Leo, to be Leo. Oh, or Johnny Horn Johnny Horn yeah. that was a good thing was it the um what one was it? Fire Talk With Me. There was a, a podcast called Fire Talk With Me and uh, there were two people and one of them had never seen the show before and at the end of every episode she was trying to guess who the killer was going to be. It was Ali Gertz. Was, she was watching Twin Peaks for the first time and at the end of every episode I went, so who do you think the killer is? And she'd come out and sometimes it was all really bizarre outlandish stuff and she sometimes just said people like, uh, Hank Jennings, even though he was in jail at the time, but you know, it was, <laughs> but it was quite good to see how it went on. And I think there was a point quite early on where she said the killer's name, and you're like, <gasps> and then she completely deviated from that again. But it was good. some great podcast, some better podcast than this one either. When, Sorry, when you first watched it, who did you think was the, the killer? If you can, do you know, take yourself back. I, I can't take myself back, but what I will say is that I'm very good at like suspending my disbelief for watching things, and I can be surprised by things that people say, oh, I saw that coming. Like, something has to be very, very, very clearly signposted for me to go, oh, well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Right? I very rarely watch anything like even The Sixth Sense, where some people said, like, oh, I knew the twist in the beginning. I did it. I didn't enjoy the movie, but I still yeah. didn't know what the twist was going to be. So... I honestly don't think I knew. I don't think I... I think I was just really looking forward to finding out. Yeah. Because I'm really good at... I, I can... I don't catch everything first time around in terms of, like, if something... If there's a twist coming, nobody was expecting it. I'm really good at missing all that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, they're, they're, they're almost pointing out that there's some guy with greasy, long, dirty hair kicking about the town, uh -huh. killing people... I mean, and I, I think that would have been amazing if they just went, oh yeah, you've, you've, you've been thinking it's one of this main cast of characters that's been in it from the beginning, but it wasn't, at the, you know, it was like, but yeah. not at this point, but there was definitely a point where I was starting to convince myself it was Ben Horn. Not at this point. Yeah, no, I think I've Yeah, you've seen enough horrible things thing. in Ben Horn, yep. you could probably see that happen. Yeah, you could, you could, you could, but. I have a feeling that, no, I did, I did think this, I thought Harry 
was potentially a suspect because he was so sweet in the first couple of episodes. He's like, what's this guy covering up with these jumpers? You know, it's sort of, this guy's so nice and so sort of country bumpkin, sort of like, yeah. he's covering something up. But that's well, the I, point. That was, that was just like episode two or three. I was like, oh, he's done it. I remember there was like a conspiracy theory that it was Cooper. Everybody said Cooper committed the crime and then they said it was very quick, you know, uh, this girl crosses the state line and Cooper managed to get it to Twin Peaks at 11.30 in the morning. There was, there was a real it's conspiracy theory about it being Cooper that was a killer. But we were all school kids. We were, we, we were in, we were in primary, and uh, prim- we weren't primary, when we were in second year. I don't want to hear anyone talking that nonsense about my special age. No, no, absolutely. I never believed it, but there was, no. there was definitely a theory amongst people in my class that, that Cooper was the killer. Nonsense. Well, I look forward to finding out who the killer is in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, me too. Cooper's going to meet up with Harry the next morning for breakfast and just go, the killer was Bleh. Oh, by the way, it was me. Oh, was that, I said, <laughs> My dream, a dream came in last night, I'm the killer. But yeah, so, as, but, but that's, do you know, I remember watching us kind of going, you can't know how they got, didn't know how they were going to get around it. It's great as well for David Lynch too. David Lynch is king of the kind of anti-climax. It just does it so well. And when you watch The Return as well, there's yeah. only like three episodes of The Return that end on an honest to God cliffhanger. The rest of it's like stuff happening in the roadhouse or Dougie hanging about a statue. There's nothing, but, it, but you still want to know what happens next. He manages to invert cliffhangers. That statue needs a new pair of shoes. Absolutely. There you go. Call back. Call forward. So with that, I mean, I think that's, you know, we're only an hour and a half. Uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're probably never going to get these. We're, we're never, we're never, absolutely. But you know what? We try and God loves a trier. What we make, uh, maybe. I don't know. I think we've done really well, guys. And uh, do you know what? It's an episode worth talking about. But uh, I hope you enjoyed that. We'll, we'll try and make the next one shorter. What would you say, guys? Maybe, yeah, why not? Why Let's do not? it. Shorter, Let's possibly less spoiler heavy. Yeah, we were. We maybe just because it ruins... I don't think... I think if, you, if you're listening to this, you've probably seen the show by now, but maybe just give us the chance to talk about these things when they happen as opposed to just... Well, that's that's yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. That's what I mean. Cause, uh, and I think we've man- it's good to have the foreknowledge, but at the same time, we don't need to. And nobody should be listening to this if they don't know what's going to happen. But yeah. Anyway, that's all we've got time. We're going to talk another half hour about spoilers. Guys, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Uh, you. you can follow thank us you. on Twitter. Uh, I am at Joseph Goss on Twitter and also uh, at Joseph D. Goss on Instagram. Um, I think my Twitter is at Voodoo Pineapple. Yes. Um, you can find me there when I post. Or at Chunks Night. Uh, at Chunks Night, yeah. At Chunks that's, Night. That's my first baby. Um, yeah. Uh, and my, my Twitter name is Ridiculous. So if you just search for my name, John Carruthers, and it's got a picture of Alf bursting out of John Hurt's chest because my Twitter handle name is My Name Backwards backwards so it's s draw come on and big shout out to the alf posts on log posting <laughs> loving the alf if you're not on twin peaks log posting go and check it out because that is pretty wonderful there's an albert one that just made me cry with laughter the other day did you see that good night margaret one that's that's right anyway Robert. With, with, 
Ah, that one. I made that one. Nah, well, we'll, we'll take it offline. I'll tell you what I'm talking. I'll show you the one I'm talking about offline because it's not really a visual medium. Uh, guys, thank you very much for listening. That's very cute. Thank you.